This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 112 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is someone who I first interviewed back in January 2011, shortly after she had turned 14 years old and shortly before she received an invitation to the Academy Awards as the ninth youngest person ever nominated for the Best Supporting Actress Oscar for her incredible big screen debut in the Coen Brothers film True Grit. Her name is Haley Steinfeld. She just turned 20. And over the six years since I last sat down with her, she has continued to distinguish herself in movies like John Carney's Begin Again, Elizabeth Banks's Pitch Perfect 2, and most recently, Kelly Fermon Craig's feature directorial debut, The Edge of Seventeen, for which she's received rave reviews and now a Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy Golden Globe Award nomination. Oh, and she's also now a music star, having released her debut album, Haze, in November 2015, and accumulated friends and fans including Taylor Swift and Justin Bieber, while, unlike some of her peers in the public eye, avoiding any whiff of scandal and remaining, by all accounts, a true professional and class act. Over the course of our conversation, Steinfeld and I talk about how she first discovered acting and wound up with such a big first role. How her Oscar nomination opened up a lot of doors for her and forced her to figure out what sort of a performer she wanted to be moving forward. How singing emerged as a huge passion, thanks in part to her roles in Begin Again and Pitch Perfect 2. And how she managed to create a rare three-dimensional movie teenager so magnificently in the edge of 17. So without further ado, let's go to that conversation. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Haley, thank you so much for doing this. It's good to see you six years after the last time. Crazy. But anyway, we always begin, I guess, just by saying where were you born and raised and and what did your folks do or or do they do for a living? I was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. I was born in Tarzana, to be exact, and I've grown up here my whole life. My mom grew up here, and she is an interior designer. Although I've kind of taken her away from that the last couple of years because she's been on the road with me. And my dad is a personal fitness trainer and sports nutritionist. Very nice. (laughs) Now, if I remember correctly, 
this all kind of started because you were like eight years old and you saw somebody you knew doing something. Can you refresh my memory of, of how you got into this? Yeah. So I was a, around eight years old and I distinctly remember sort of up until that point, I had been trying so many different things, different types of dance. I was basketball one week, tennis another week, horseback riding the next. It was always a different thing. And my parents would invest in the three month trial, buy all the gear, buy all of the everything and the everything I needed to succeed in whatever it was I wanted to do. And a week into it, I would be over it. And I started sort of, I guess, finding different inspirations that were pulling me into the acting world, so to speak. One of them being my cousin was doing commercials. And I would sit at the TV and watch the channel that the commercial was supposedly playing on (laughs) and just sit there until it would come up. And I remember seeing her face on my TV feeling like it was the most massive thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I ran into my parents' office and said, I want to be in commercials. And that's sort of where it started. I saw a family friend of ours in a school play. And yeah, I don't know, just little things here and there sort of pulling me in. So what do you do about that? How do you then go and say turn you know the desire into actually getting the ball rolling on, on your own stuff? So my unbelievable mother, who I would not be here without, she did just hours and hours of research. And she obviously knew it required a lot more of a commitment than I was used to. And so she and my dad came back to me and said, if this is something you're serious about, take acting classes for a full year and we'll see we'll see how it goes and I was like all right done a year went by faster than I could have ever imagined I went from taking the class I was I was eight say it was eight to ten year olds and 10 to 12 12 to 18 I was in the 12 to 18 class by the end of the year I absolutely loved every single minute of it it felt like I found where I was I was meant to be and I think the reason I sort of knew that so young was because here I was bouncing around to all of these different things on different sides of the cities and then mom was driving everywhere and I was doing all these different things all the time. And here I am in one place doing all of those different things. And I finally just, I I just fell in love with it. And a year went by after taking classes. Uh, I had headshots taken, sent them out to 10 different agencies, two called back. (laughs) One of them was a print agency, Coast to Coast. And I was with them on the print side for a year. And my agent there, Tana Loy, at the time took me over to the the theatrical side. So print meaning you would be in like ads and magazines or things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And once you had a cross the board representation with them, what starts happening? You start going out for a lot of other different kinds of things, right? Yes. So I, I mean, I started... During that sort of year where I was not like fully represented, I guess you could say, I was doing student thesis graduate films, which were, I mean, the stories I have from those (laughs) thinking now that I mean, I would I would be if I were in film school doing that sort of that same thing this time in my life, having been the star of of students films, it's pretty crazy to look back on. But those were those were definitely a a start to to where I where I am now. And were there things like what had gotten you into this? Were you doing commercials as well or any of those other yeah, kinds of things? Yes, I was doing commercials. I did a few a uh, few guest starring roles on, on sitcoms and then just years of auditioning until until the one, until yeah. True Grit. So before we hit True Grit, I've got to ask you, how was the regular side of your life throughout this? Were you still going to school with regular kids or did it become a sit where that was not possible and you had to be homeschooled or what was non-work life like for you as you approached true grip period 
I was in school. I actually, I started homeschooling right before True Grit. And that was due to scheduling. And I realized that school, a school environment, I guess, is not for everyone. And it was not for me. I never really thrived socially, I guess you could say. And I felt like, you know, I felt like I was just on a different sort of page than everybody else. And it took me a long time to figure out what page that was and, <laughs> and why I was on it. But it was it, it was just a different one. So I started homeschooling right before then. Let me ask you just because it relates to what we're going to eventually get to with your most recent movie. Was it just a matter of not connecting with other kids or were other kids being mean girls and mean boys and whatever? It was it was both. The most confusing part of it all was trying to realize and convince myself that I wasn't the only one that they were, I guess, picking on, for lack of a better word. I never, I mean, I would come home and I would complain to my parents and I would be upset and I would have things to say, but I never wanted anybody to do anything to fix the situation because not only did I feel like nothing would ever help, I didn't ever want people to think that I was, you know, the victim of anything. I knew that there were kids that were doing it to everybody and at times I would take certain emotions out on people and not mean it mm -hmm. and not know how to apologize or not know how to handle it. But yeah, I think it was both sort of not feeling connected and then there being sort of, you know, those kids that are just trying to find who they are too. Yeah. So how did you first hear the the phrase true grit. I mean, what was the beginning? Somebody calls up and says, we have an audition or we have a, we think you'd be right for something or what was the beginning? So my mom's cousin has a daughter who's a few years younger than me. And she called my mom saying, I just heard this, this casting call. I think she heard it either on TV or on the radio or somewhere crazy. And she said her daughter didn't necessarily fit the breakdown because she seemed too young uh, but she was passing along the information to my mom, thinking that maybe I would be right. So it was right before like a winter break that everybody was about to be out of the office for. And I remember my mom called my agent and said, what's the deal with this? What's, you know, how can we get in on this? And they're like, oh, we think they found their girl. She's in Texas. Uh, well, if we get back from break and they haven't found her, we'll, we'll look into it, whatever. The sides were posted online. So I went and took advantage of that. I started working on the material in hopes that I would get a call when they came back from break. If not, I would put myself on tape. Mm -hmm. And so by the time everybody got back from break, I had an audition <laughs> and I was so prepared. And I went in there and phew, less than a month later, found myself on that set. Did you go and watch the original movie? I know that the movie that you did is more inspired by the book. Sure. But maybe you didn't even know that at the time, right? Right. Well, I, I was very lucky to have that film to look to as a reference for the the language and for the time I had no other no other sort of I guess access to to that sort of research I wasn't learning about any of that in school yet I wasn't I wasn't exposed to any of it so luckily I had that film that I could watch two three times for the sake of the dialogue that was probably the number one thing and then I I remember I watched it a few times without sound because I didn't want to get stuck in the pattern of how she spoke but I, I was able to sort of pick up on the physicality of the role and, and just, I guess, overall, it's a Western and it's it's a different period. So I was lucky to have that to, to reference. And so when you do now go in, it's initially for the casting director? Yes. Ellen Chenoweth, I went in for the first time. No, I went in for her assistant the first time. Really? I didn't even okay. see her. Okay. And then the second time I, I read with her. And then the third time it was with Jeff Bridges, <laughs> Barry Pepper and the Coen Brothers. 
<laughs> and this was all within a, you said, a one month yeah. period. Yeah. So as this was happening, were you aware of the fact that there were thousands of other girls that were pursuing this? Were you aware of what a big deal this would be if it happened? Because I can't imagine you'd seen too many Coen Brothers movies right. at that point. They're all like R-rated. <laughs> sure. So what what did you know and, and how excited or, or not were you going through this? I, I was aware of the fact that they were seeing thousands of girls. That were, <laughs> at least that's what was being said. Yeah. So I was aware of that. And I had seen a couple Coen Brothers films, but I definitely became more aware of who they were after and during my time with them. But I guess I sort of had this feeling when I was reading the sides, when I was reading through the script, and not to sort of change the subject, but I got this feeling with The Edge of Seventeen that I don't feel I've had since True Grit. And that was reading these lines and feeling like I don't, I, I in no way can picture anyone else doing this but me. <laughs> and with True Grit, I remember it being, it feeling like this is a lot. But that was the initial, that was the initial reaction. And then once I was in it, it never felt like anything. And I remember sort of being on set and, and even in the audition, the Coen brothers are sitting there sort of laughing. And I'm thinking to myself, this isn't supposed to be funny. Like, what are they <laughs> laughing at? And I just right. remember sort of watching it then and feeling like so much of the comedy is in this character feeling like it's just nothing. Right, you know? right. Well, so let's just recount for people. You had to deliver some very specific, unusual sort of dialogue. You had to ride a horse. You had to climb a tree. You had to roll a cigarette. List goes on all while still studying with a tutor on the set, right? Yes. <laughs> so was the making of this movie fun or was it just kind of a blur? No. Oh, my goodness, no. There was never a dull moment. It was very, I mean, it was like working two full-time jobs, having gone, I mean, going from being on set, working every single second, then the second you're off, you're in school just so they can count that 20-minute block. Right. But yeah, it was crazy. But again, not, never a dull moment. Did you ever get a chance to meet Kim Darby, who had played your part in the original? I did. So I met her at our screening of the movie, which was amazing because, again, I'd spent so much time watching her and sort of studying her. <laughs> and then I was able to, in ways, take what she did and, and make it my own. So to meet her was really, really special. So the, the movie comes out, gets great reception, a bunch of Oscar nominations, including Best Picture and Best Supporting Actress for you. How cool was all of that? Even just seeing yourself on the big screen must have been, it's a new experience. So basically the initial reaction and then what happened afterwards? How much did this and how quickly did this open up other opportunities? Well, the experience altogether, I mean, I'm still, I'm still trying <laughs> to find the words to describe it. I'll never forget seeing the movie for the first time with my family. It was just, it was just my family. And it was this moment and we, I just remember I started to cry after the movie and I was so confused as to why <laughs> I was like, I should be happy right now, but I'm so emotional. My brothers cry. I've never seen them cry. My dad, my mom. It was just this, this whole, I mean, realization of like, this is, this is, this is it. Mm -hmm. This is what I've always ever wanted to do and it's right here on screen and it's done with the most incredible people and I've just I've just been given the all-time master class and I don't know where I go from here well because we should say there you were now the shortly after that the ninth youngest person ever to get nominated for oh best supporting actress right. you were only 14 and like just barely 14 right did that aspect of it where people you know, all right, so you have this emotional thing, you've seen the movie. <laughs> now, not only have you done it, but people are saying you've done it extremely well and mm -hmm. made a big impression, and then you get that kind of recognition. What was that like to process? I mean, again, <laughs> I'm still trying to process it. <laughs> I guess going to work every day with the people that I worked with 
on that movie taught me without even, I don't even know that they were aware that they were really teaching me this. It was never really a matter of a piece of advice they'd given me. It was the fact that I was able to watch these guys come to work every single day and put just 210% of themselves into this role and have the most fun doing it. And then they go home to their families, they come home, they go to work and they do the same thing again. And to see that, to see that it's about the work and it's about the craft and, and it's about making it the absolute best it could be. To be recognized for that is so incredibly rewarding. <laughs> and and I guess, I don't know, it's something you never think about when you're when you're in it. And I don't know, I guess I just, I owe so much to the people around me for, for bringing out with me what they did. And so next thing is now you're, People know who you are in the business, certainly, and they are your uh, hot commodity. People mm-hmm. want to work with you. I heard that you're getting all kinds of things. I heard at one time the Hunger Games was one of the things. Did right. you audition for that? I did audition for the Hunger Games. Was that one that you you were excited about? Oh man, yes, yeah. <laughs> that was that was that was yeah. I wanted that for sure. I remember going through that and feeling like. You know, one thing, too, I had just sort of joined social media around that time. Uh. And it was so interesting to see sort of how that affected the whole process. Because with True Grit, I, I, I had none of that, right. nor do I think that would have ever affected anything. So how did it affect um, the process? It was interesting to see fans creating trailers on, on YouTube of me in the movie or of other people as that they thought in Katniss the movie. As, or whatever. Yeah, as Katniss Everdeen. <laughs> or like polls as yeah. to who they would vote in. Right. The, you know, it was right. just, it was it was crazy. And at the same, it, at one point it was kind of cool and motivating. And at the other time I was like, damn, like this is... A little crazy. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. is. But yeah, it was, it was a great process. I, I love, I mean, it's an unbelievable series and nobody could have done it better than her. So what was the first project that came about as a result of True Grit that you were really excited about? What was the first direct follow? Romeo and Juliet. A year went by after I made True Grit for a couple of reasons. I think it took me half the year to sort of come down off the whole experience. And then, you know, deciding on the next project was definitely a conscious decision. Yeah, because it's going to set the tone, right? Exactly, exactly. And Romeo and Juliet was something that I felt... I sort of watched come together from before I got involved to then obviously the uh, final product. And with True Grit, I sort of walked in in the 11th hour. And then, I mean, I just kind of did my thing and walked away and didn't have to worry about anything. And with this, it was it was a completely different experience in that I really felt sort of I wouldn't say more connected to it, but just more sort of involved, which was interesting. And so it kind of was built around you in the sense that first we should say this is this was adapted by Julian Fellows, who people, he's been on this podcast, people know him from Downton mm-hmm. Abbey. So he sees True Grit, he loves your work in this, He and now he says, I want to do Romeo and Juliet specifically with, with you. Is that how that part, he just offered it basically? Yes, it, yeah, yeah, which is crazy. Uh, and I remember thinking like it, it, you know, this feels like the one. I mean, it's been a while now, and, and this feels like a decision. This feels like something that is completely challenging and terrifying, to be honest. I remember reading it and feeling like, okay, this is a script that had a couple X's through the, some pages, <laughs> but yeah, it was. It, it had great people involved, and it felt like felt like something that was slightly impossible in the beginning, and and something I could say felt impossible in the beginning once it was done. It's a big, it's a big one to take on, and then the other one, which I would guess chronologically wasn't that long after, is one that I love so much, and I think it, people need to keep discovering it. Hopefully, begin again. Which yeah. at the time you signed on to it was still. 
can a song save yes, your life, right? Absolutely. Now, this may be the first time that most people ever saw you in any context related to music. Correct. Was that the draw for you or what was the what appealed to you about that part? So with I was going to say with can a song save your life, but begin again. <laughs> the music aspect was a huge draw for me. Music has always been part of my plan and it's always been something I've wanted to do and it's really always sort of been a matter of how am I going to do this in a way that makes sense. And I had always hoped that it would happen through a movie somehow so that that could be the sort of sly introduction. Yeah, organic, yeah. Right. And with this movie, it felt like that. It wasn't sort of overbearing in any way. It wasn't a, you know, a full-on musical. It wasn't overwhelming. It was an amazing story that is just raw and real and organic and has, I mean, incredible people involved. The story was awesome. Mark Ruffalo playing his daughter was yeah. like yeah for sure <laughs> and yeah that it, it turned out to be one of my favorite movies I've ever worked on so great and by the way speaking of not rushing into the music thing in a weird way your character didn't even want to accompany him right as right. I remember so right. it was like really reluctant star of that so exactly. Ender's Game was that the first really big movie yes big it was studio movie? that was the third film I ever made so after Romeo and Juliet which yeah it was the first big studio and what was that like was that an adjustment i mean i guess true grit it feels like a big movie but that was not a huge budget no. right and then romeo and juliet was probably pretty yes indie <laughs> yeah. and kenneth song save your life certainly was indie begin again so what is it like to to for the first time step into a big studio apparatus and deal with all of that i mean having gone from the complete opposite really to that it's 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 a lot. It's overwhelming for sure. There's a lot of people and so much more time, which is crazy. I remember when I got the day of days for Romeo and Juliet, it was something absurd. And I remember thinking like, I don't know how anyone's going to do this, let alone me. And then once we finished the film, I was like, why does anybody need to make a movie for longer than 12 days? You know? And then with Ender's Game, I was like three months. That's crazy. But yeah, it was, it was great. It was, you know, there were a lot of people involved, but to make a story that big sort of come to life with an amazing studio behind you is the only way to do it. And that was, it was a great experience. Does your acting approach change on, depending on the size of the movie or the type of, like, obviously the type of movie it might, but is it a broader type of acting versus grittier type of acting when you're doing a studio movie versus some of these indies where it's more grounded in realism and all of that? I guess, I guess on paper it might be. My approach, I don't feel changes too much. I love to dig just as deep regardless of the size of the role or the size of the movie. That doesn't change for me at least I don't feel like it has but I guess in some ways when you have a when you have a film like True Grit where you're playing a character that is scripted on every page and then you're in a movie like Ender's Game where you're one of 10 and everybody has a voice everybody has a message you choose how to sort of make yours known in terms of you know levels but I wouldn't say my approach is too different yeah just going to touch on a couple more before we get to Edge of 17, because who knows when along the line people discovered you. It might have been, for instance, with Three Days to Kill, where you, Kevin Costner, there's that, I think one of the nicest scenes is you learning, to him teaching you how to oh, dance. Yes. Just what was any takeaway from that? That, oh my God, we shot that movie in Paris, and that alone was yeah. one of the best experiences of my life. And that was a story I fell in love with, because I really felt like this character sort of I'm trying to think back on it. This the the character I played really had a just a 
beautiful trajectory going from feeling like completely misunderstood to then realizing that like the only reason why I'm misunderstood is because I'm not allowing anybody to understand me. And she realizes that and, and lets this her father into her life. And there is that beautiful scene where they they he's teaching her how to dance. And it's just I don't know. There's a, just a lot of wonderful moments in that movie. McGee directed that and he was just so awesome and so how could he not be with a I name mean, like that? I mean, <laughs> true, but so verbal through the right. whole process. Yeah. The Homesman, was was that a little bit intimidating to be not only acting with, but also directed by Tommy oh Lee Jones? Oh my God, yes. A little. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was crazy. I actually shot like one day, so I came right in, I did my thing and I left, and I was part of me was like, this is the way to do it, because that way I don't have time to get nervous. <laughs> I literally just have a couple lines, get right. in and get out. A side note: A lot of the crew that worked on True Grit was on the home really? so that was a, that was oh, really fun. Cool. But Is yeah, because it shot in the same area, or what was the reason um, for that? Just no, I guess just coincidental. Yeah, well, yeah, wasn't shot in the same place. But there's a scene, the only scene yeah, with yeah, yeah. Um, with Tommy Lynn Jones, where I'm sitting next to him on on a small bench, yeah. and I remember we sort of. Well, I thought, I believe I thought we were like running it when we were filming it. And I was prepared, <laughs> but I just kind of was a little bit more relaxed right, right. than I think I would have been if I knew that we were right. doing it for real. And we're doing the scene and he's looking at me across the bench and I'm like, okay, pretty sure I said on my lines. I don't know why you're just still staring at me. He's still staring at me. He goes, all right, cut. And I'm like, oh, oh my God, sweating. It was just so right. nerve wracking. But to be in a scene with somebody, it was like he was waiting to sort of check out and, and you know, go back to behind the camera. So probably your biggest audience for a, for a movie would have been Pitch Perfect too. Hmm. So you had known about but not been a part of Pitch Perfect, yes. right? Were you a fan? Was this your kind of movie? Oh my God, yeah. totally. I remember watching that movie feeling like if there's ever another movie like this, I have <laughs> to do it. Again, the music being a huge draw and just the fact that it was a movie that, you know, I went and saw it with my parents. I loved it. They loved it. It was just a, it was just a movie for everybody and it was, you know, one of those feel good film so so how does it come about that elizabeth banks with her version now is is directing and and you get to be a part of this were they what was the first sign that this was even possible i was in atlanta actually making a film and i got a call from my agent saying that they're they're making a a pitch perfect two. and at that point there was no word if there was even a part for me but it was it was out so they know that you were a singer no not at not no not at that point. Wow! But I had heard that they they were making everybody sing in the audition, and they had the first time around. And that like at that point when I heard that I was like, no way, there's no way I can't do that. I never <laughs> sang in front of anybody. I'm not going to do that. But then at the same time I was like, but the, but then again I'll do whatever I can to make it work. And I got a call from my my agent saying Elizabeth wants you to audition over Skype. And I was like, oh, my God, like, that's got to be so awkward. Like, what if you lose connection <laughs> in the middle freezes. of the scene or like it freezes or who am I supposed to read with? Right. Like, that's so weird. So I begged them to just wait. I would think I, was, I had a week left in this film I was on. I was like, please just wait till I get home. I will come in. I will sing. I will dance. I will do whatever you want me to do. <laughs> and they waited for me. And I went in. And in the meantime, I had sent them music that I'd recorded myself ah, cool. that nobody had heard so that I could <laughs> convince them that I was good enough. Yeah. And I went in. I read. And that happened to like couple weeks later i was i was part of the bellas what was the highlight of the making of the movie just seems like the characters obviously become close or did it feel like that i mean there again there aren't that many movies with that many young women Mm. who are the center of the of the show so was that 
kind of special? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that that was that that movie had more women involved than than all of the other movies <laughs> I've done put together, which of course is a highlight. Elizabeth Banks' directing was absolutely amazing. She obviously the first one was her baby, the second one was even more so, and. I don't know. I think looking at your at your schedule every day, your call sheet, sort of seeing what you have to go to work and do on that movie, it's like, how does how does anyone call this work? Yeah. It's absolutely just so much fun. Every single minute of every day, you're doing something you never thought you'd ever do. So there were there were quite a few highlights. Flashlight. This was a great song in the movie that you then covered separately, right? Or yes. was that how did okay it worked like that and. That was the first time I sat up and I was like, whoa, this is a really, this is a talented singer. Thank you. And I just wonder, did you know that song was, did you sort of see the potential with that song? And then what did it lead to? I guess the cover then in some ways opened the doors to this second career really, right? Yes. So when I read the script, there was, uh, there was no song scripted uh, as to what the original song of the movie was, what the, the song that my character wrote sounded like. And I was, I think we were like a week or two in to rehearsals and I, I got this email from our musical director on the movie and he's like, this is the song. Don't tell anybody. Here it is. <laughs> and I literally was like sitting under a desk for whatever reason. I popped my earphones and I listened to the song and I was like, oh my God, like this is, it makes sense. I mean, here I've been like making up my own whatever in my head as I read through the script because that's where the song is placed and, and this is, this is what it is. I later found out it was written by Sia and Sam yeah, Smith, yeah. which like completely changed the game for me after that I was like absolutely and then they had given it to Jesse J to sing for the soundtrack and the original sort of demo that I heard was vocals and I think it was uh, vocals and a piano it was super simple and stripped down and beautiful and I wanted to bring that version to life because nobody ever really had the chance to hear it like Mm -hmm. that and I sort of went off on my own and directed a little video with my friend Pete Wentz, who played the guitar for me. And that was really the first time anybody heard me sing a full-length song. And I was about to go on, I believe, James Corden. I was in my dressing room, and I was like, guys, I don't know if I should do it. It was was (laughs) uploaded to YouTube. All I had to click was okay. (laughs) And I did it, and I went on James Corden. I came back, and there were all these views and comments, and it was the most overwhelming, amazing thing. And, and yeah, that's gotten me here. (laughs) And so... You then hear from Republic? Yes. Republic <laughs> so, Records? Yes. So I had gone to an event in New York City. It was uh, it was an event for Topshop. It was the opening of the store on Fifth Avenue. And Jesse J was performing at this event. And Nick Jonas, who are Republic artists, and they are represented by a man named Charlie Walk. And he was at this, this dinner. He was at my table. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting next to somebody who I had worked with before. And I've always feel like they kind of do that on purpose. If they, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. right? I don't know. <laughs> and then it was me, then my mom, and then this guy, Charlie Walk. So we had gotten, we were like the first ones at this table. And my mom was sort of looking at the name tags. It was sitting next to her. And she Googled the name because I didn't know who it was. Right. And she saw that he was from Republic Records. He worked on the first soundtrack for Pitch Perfect. So she's like, oh, that must be why, you know, whatever. So cut to like halfway through this dinner, my mom turns to me. And she's like, you've got to switch with me. This guy's amazing. You need to talk to him. And I switched with her and I started playing this guy music and I literally stopped eating. I was so nervous. I was like, this guy's listening to my music at this event while people are like, this is insane. And he, without hearing me ever sing live or seeing me perform or doing anything, he signed me to the label and he just believed and he's. It happened like that quick. Like 
basically shortly after that. Shortly, well, yes. He he's a man who likes to have a lot of meetings, so we <laughs> had a lot of meetings, and then he signed me. <laughs> right, and so the result is that it can't have been that long after November two thousand fifteen. I don't know when that meeting happened, but November two thousand fifteen, we mm. have this first album, which is called Haze. Why is it called Haze? H-A-I-Z. So Haze is a nickname that really came from my fans. And I felt like if I call this EP Haze, it will one, be as if they named it. And it will, two, sort of really feel like this is something from me to them. And it was my first body of work as as a musician. And and it was for them. It was, you know, inspired by them. And I mean, it's amazing to see that it does what it does because of them. So that was. And it came together. How, I guess, in such a short amount of time you've got and, and, you know, songs that very, very catchy and about all kinds of things. (laughs) And, um, you know, what was what was the, the making of that? It really did happen in in crazy timing. I, I have really been sort of put on what feels like this fast track this, this last year with the music. I got into the studio with Matt Man and Robin, these incredible producers, Julia Michaels and Justin Tranter. And we, within a few months, just knocked it all out. And everything that's done on the EP is done with those same four people, which I don't feel happens often. I guess you sort of, I don't know when you when you meet people and it just works it works and yeah. and one thing came after the other and it soon became Hayes and and now we're on to the the full length album and doing a lot of performing and, and you're gonna be you're saying through the holidays doing some more and one last question before we we hone in here now on Edge of Seventeen but is there it seems like you really enjoy the the recording and the performing aspect and all of this with the music is there is there ever a chance that this would displace acting or is it always going to live side by side do you it'll think? always live side by side i am fully aware that it's not easy and and at times you know one is put in front of the other but it can be done and i'm i'm in it right now and i i don't see myself doing one and not the other it's crazy though i guess to think sort of whenever i'm whenever i'm working on one i'm i'm completely and fully immersed in in that one but to sort of travel the world and and be on different stages in front of different people every other night is one thing and it's inc- it's just this instant live reaction you don't get from making a movie which is so i mean just intoxicating and yeah. and and so hard to describe but then again going and and stationing yourself in one place for a period of time and being able to fully lose yourself in just that one world is something completely different and equally as exhilarating and and the best part, I think, is what I'm realizing now, and that's how the two sort of coincide. When I'm in the studio and I get to pull on things that, you know, if for whatever reason I'm lacking inspiration in my personal life, I can think back on this character I played and, and sort of get into her head or, you know, headspace and, and think of how she would handle a certain situation and vice versa when I'm on a set and I think about music. That's sort of my number one trigger. So, Yeah. All right, so now 2016, we have a movie that's still in theaters and that people need to go and see. I was confessed to you earlier that as a <laughs> male of in his 30s, I thought this is not for me. And then sure. I was nudged and nudged and I went and it's great. This is The Edge of 17. It's Kelly Freeman Craig's first film as director. James L. Brooks, though, as the producer. Again, thousands of people apparently uh, auditioned, I've heard. Yeah. And how did you hear about it? So I actually, this is funny, I heard about this film when it was called Besties, okay. and I 
am guilty of having judged the <laughs> the book book by its cover, book by its title, by feeling like you know if this is a if this is a high school thing, I don't want to do it. Like I'm going to be 20 in a couple years, and I don't want to be I don't want to be doing this, right. which was so crazy for me to think. But I had heard about it. I didn't read it the first time around, and it sort of went away and resurfaced. I'd say five six months later, and I read it, and I kicked myself and I, I couldn't get over the fact that I would ever do that. I, yeah, I, I read it and I was like, this is, this is, why didn't anybody tell me sooner? I went in and I auditioned for Kelly and Jim. I feel like from the very first time I met Kelly, from the last time I saw her a couple days ago, our whole relationship is like this, this never ending conversation. And in that happened the development of this character. And that started in the first five minutes that I met her. And this was a movie that I'm, I'm so incredibly proud of and, and fell in love with. And to have brought this character to life was really an honor. Oh, that's great. Well, maybe for people who haven't yet seen it, can you give a little tease of what it's about and yes. who you're playing? Yes. So The Edge of Seventeen. <laughs> oh, my God. It is that time in your life where you're trying to find answers to questions. And those questions are, who am I and what am I good at? And how and what am I supposed to do to fit in? Do I even want to fit in? Trying to answer all those questions on your own and feeling like one minute everything is good and great and you're happy. And then like 20 seconds later, it's the complete opposite. and The world's coming <laughs> to an end. This movie captures every single emotion you could possibly feel in that time in your life. Now, for you as an actress, when you're reading the script and seeing what's going to be demanded of you here, it seems like it would be a kind of a tricky balancing act because on the one hand, you're the protagonist of the movie. We obviously, therefore, see the world through your eyes in a way we're rooting for you. But you're not always the most likable right. person <laughs> as this as this character, Nadine. So did that give you any trepidation about like just how am I going to play this and, and walk that tightrope? Once I was in it, yes. <laughs> I think I, I mean, I, I read it initially and felt like, hell yeah, this is awesome. This is a challenging role. She's she's fearless in her own way and the story itself is just so unapologetic and when I got into it I was like oh boy okay how am I going <laughs> to climb this mountain because it's hard to sort of play a character that you want to sympathize with at the same time you really don't want to like right it's complicated it's a it is a it is a tightrope but I have to thank Kelly for that for helping me sort of get through that I coached with Larry Moss on this project which had been a dream of mine for years and to have him on speed dial and be able to call this man and say, I'm struggling with this one concept. And within like 30 seconds, he would just come up with some answer, whether he felt it was right or wrong. It was right. It was just <laughs> exactly what I needed to hear. And and when it came to sort of walking that fine line, it was finding the balance of how to how to let people see and hear that this character really is fragile inside and, and and somewhat broken but on the outside she's really good at just pretending right the scenes with Woody Harrelson are are hilarious and I just wonder it seems like there's a lot of young actors in this movie which is great but if there's somebody with kind of experience that might be able to share some wisdom or just have been fun to hang out with it would probably be <laughs> Woody Harrelson yes what what was it like working with him so 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 much fun that man kept me on my toes the entire time. Whenever Kelly knew she had what she wanted, she'd always give us a take to to 
have fun. Yeah. And she would tell us we could do whatever we wanted. And when you tell that man he can do whatever he wants, he will do and say whatever <laughs> he wants. And sometimes I would feel like super confident about like the improv and I'd be like, oh yeah, no worries. I got this. Like whatever. <laughs> He'd come out with something and I'd be like, how do I respond to that? And I would just lose it and start laughing. Right. But we would literally go from, we were obviously shooting at a high school. So we would be sort of in the gym playing basketball, shooting hoops in between <laughs> takes. And then they'd be yelling at us to get back on set. But he truly is incredible and and to have found such impeccable timing with him in our own sort of personal banter I really feel that came through on screen so the movie shows obviously how hard it can be to grow up just if you're a average regular person but then it must be like at a different level when you're basically growing up in front of the public as a public person well-known person in the age of smartphones with mm -hmm. cameras and social media, which we were talking about. And so I guess I wonder for you, has, you know, you're, you're as you say, you're about to exit your teens. Mm -hmm. How would you describe this, these last, these last six years or whatever it is? And does any part of you ever wonder what it would have been like or yearn for just want to be a normal kid or go to college or do whatever? Or are you, you feel like it's, it's the correct path. It's been just the way it worked out the way it should have. I guess there will always be a part of me that's a little curious, but I don't feel like any other decision would have been right. Yeah. I feel like I feel like I'm I'm meant to be doing what I'm doing. I'm I'm so happy and I feel so lucky to be presented with the opportunities that I am. But I guess in thinking back on the last couple years of my life, I mean so much has happened and it really it really all sort of started with with True Grit and thinking back to that time where the social media and the phones and the everything that exists now didn't really necessarily exist, at least for me. I was sort of late to that whole game. And I really feel like this movie, The Edge of Seventeen, is a true representation of, of how I feel about it. I'm involved with it. I'm confused by it. And I, I don't understand it sometimes, but it's it's our world. And it's crazy to think that, you know, there was a time where, I mean, I hear my parents talk about how they'd ride their bikes in the cul-de-sac till the streetlights went out. And, and to think that that's like never, I mean, there was a time, there was a very short period of time in my life where that was a thing. And now it's just sort of been consumed by, by our world, which is not anything I think to be ashamed of. It's just, it's an interesting thing to be a part of, but it's crazy that we sort of look for validation through what's on our phones and through who's looking at what we put out and it's something that this movie addresses, you know, with no shy approach, and it calls it like it is. So just as a last question, I mean, where where do we go from here? If we check in, hopefully it won't be a full six years again. No, but, I hope uh, not. If, you know, what would you like these next few years to, to entail? Is there any specific goal or ambition? It sounds like for a while it was let's get a – let's make a, a music album. Then it was – playing more grown-up roles or whatever. Mm. What's your ambition for the next few years? Well, I really can't wait to see what sort of roles come as a as a 20-year-old now. And then going into my 20s, I feel like that definitely changes things. I will no longer have to struggle with, like, my height and looking too old <laughs> or young or any of that. I'm, I'm an adult now, and I can I can take on these roles that I've been dreaming of playing. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to making more movies that I can be proud of and, and be excited about telling people and showing people and music, of course, working on my first debut album. There's only one of those. So I'm making sure it's perfect. And I can't wait to can't wait to release that. And I feel like every time I, I am in the studio, I'm with people that 
play instruments and produce music and work behind the soundboard and know how to work Pro Tools. And, and that is so incredibly inspiring and of interest to me. And working with somebody like Kelly and Jim, directing is something I want to do. And, and it's something I've, I've been thinking about. And part of me is like, oh, my God, I have this idea. Let me run with it. And then another part of me is like, OK, slow down. <laughs> so there's so many things I want to do and I'm looking forward to in the next couple of years. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you. And I can't wait to follow your, your next stuff. Thank you. 